0: Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Up until the very recent past, Anytime people heard they had a problem with a heart valve, they were looking at potentially having a big open heart surgery and having that valve replaced if necessary by actually having to cut through some of the chest muscles into the heart area to actually put in that new what we would call prosthetic valve. But in the last few years, new techniques have been developed, and today we are going to talk with two experts, Dr. Jared Oyama and Dr. Shari Hart, about what is a transaortic valvular replacement. We call it TAVR in the medical world. Why is this revolutionary for how we deal with people who have heart valve problems and how this might be something that someone you or you love might need at some point in the
1: future. So
0: thank you both for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Kathy.
0: Now, Shari, we've known one another for years. We actually did residency together. If anybody wants to know bad secrets, you know them all. (laughs) But you've done some additional training in cardiology, and you now focus on echocardiograms or echocardiography and have a really good niche and specialty in that area. Thinking about the anatomy of the heart, What exactly is going on and why are heart valves so important and necessary? Can we live without them?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) And so um, our our heart is, is like a house with, we like to use that analogy, with four chambers to the house and between the rooms there are doors. And our heart valve serves as doors between the rooms so that it directs flow in the direction that it should be going. And so we're talking about the aortic valve in particular, and it's a very important valve. It's on the left side of your heart, and it uh, it is between the main pumping chamber of the heart, called the left ventricle, and uh, between the main artery uh, that leaves the heart and provides blood flow to the rest of your body. And that's the aortic valve. That sounds pretty important. So you can't live without it, or else your heart couldn't really squeeze
0: enough blood to get it to go into the aorta, that big blood vessel, have it go to your brain and the rest of your body. So That's not correct. it's a valve you can't live without. Yes. And what happens to it over time?
1: So over time, uh, we can deposit calcium, have calcium build up on the aortic valve, particularly as we age. Usually in our 70s and 80s, we start to feel the, we may have the effects of that. Um, it restricts the opening of the aortic valve, and so it, it becomes narrowed and doesn't allow for the blood to uh, exit the heart. Um, it can also have a problem with closing, and you can have blood leaking back into the heart as well. So it sort of becomes this,
0: this circle that can't completely open but can't completely close. Right. And then that affects
1: how your heart pumps to try and get the blood to the rest of your body. Right. It's... In a way, you can think of it like a a water hose with a nozzle at the tip, and the nozzle gets more narrow, and so there's a buildup of pressure um, that develops, and, and one can have symptoms from that. Now, years ago, before antibiotics
0: became fairly commonly used, people could have problems with their valves from
1: rheumatic fever. Would the aortic valve be one of the ones that could be affected? Yes, um, commonly it affects the mitral valve initially, but yes, it can subsequently affect the aortic valve as well. Uh, Rheumatic fever, you could have an infection of your heart valve. Um, It could be a congenital problem where you're just born uh, with two leaflets instead of three leaflets. Um, That's called a congenital bicuspid aortic valve. Um, And that can make one prone to uh, accelerated deposits of calcium on the valve and thus. Uh, developing stenosis or regurgitation at an earlier age. Now, when we talk about
0: calcium deposits, we're not talking about people who maybe take too much calcium and it deposits in the heart valve. There's a different process, this age-related process that occurs on your heart valve. So nobody should, like, stop taking your calcium because they're afraid of the heart valve. Right. Correct. Correct. Not related to that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it could happen to anybody. I mean, this could be something where if none of your relatives live to their 70s or 80s, but you do, this could be just age-related
1: changes that occur to your valve. Age-related changes as well as your typical cardiovascular risk factors um, with hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, smoking. Uh, Some people have had perhaps x-ray radiation to their chest that might accelerate the calcium process. Yeah, a lot of folks, if they're young and they have
0: certain conditions, we've talked before about a couple of weeks ago about people who might have lymphoma or leukemia and get radiation to the chest area, and that could potentially affect their heart as they get older. So now, Dr. Ayama, if somebody were to to feel fine and be walking around and doing great, they may still have a heart valve problem. But it doesn't manifest until it gets to a certain point. So how would somebody know what kind of symptoms might they have that would make them think, oh, maybe I've got to go get my heart checked out?
2: Sure. The uh, the most common symptom would be shortness of breath or fatigue when when someone's doing something. So with exertion, people start to tire out more easily. Um, They have to take more breaks when they go on a walk. Um, the challenge with this is these you know, patients tend to be on the older side, so a lot of them just attribute it to old age. And so in many cases when patients see us, things have been going on for a while, but they think they're just getting older.
0: And there might be something that you would hear on their heart exam that would help to indicate, hey, maybe we've got a valve issue. Because a lot of people, I mean, boy, there are times when I feel short of breath doing activity because <laughs> I'm probably trying to do too much and, and probably late. So there's a differentiation between, hey, I have some of these symptoms, and, hey, it's a heart valve. What would that be in your office? How would you know the difference? Right.
2: So um, so when someone has a heart valve issue, we're, we're listening for murmurs. And so, so people who have heart murmurs, um, this is is a manifestation that we can pick up in the clinic. Um, And so even for people who are asymptomatic, this is where it becomes important that they see their primary care doctor or their cardiologist regularly to pick up early signs of heart valve dysfunction. Um, And so when your doctor listens to your heart, you might hear a murmur um, if a valve is either narrowed or leaky, and that can tell us that we need to do further investigation.
0: Now, do you have to have one of those fancy electronic digital i don't know what they are stethoscopes, or could the standard old nope, medical school student right. kind of style stethoscope work
2: mm-hmm. well, particularly for aortic stenosis it's a pretty obvious um, it's a pretty obvious murmur um, if if you know we take a listen to someone's heart as we routinely do in an office visit it's something that we can pick up
0: and most doctors should be able to hear that Absolutely. If it's to a certain extent now, yes. when we think about the narrowing or the The stenosis is what we call it of the valve. Uh, Dr. Hart, could somebody have that for a while and have no symptoms and just feel fine and just live their life? And if they don't have symptoms, at what point do we need to get aggressive and try and do something to treat it?
1: Yes. Surprisingly, we have been surprised by a few patients who um, have gone through many, many years completely asymptomatic, highly functional, very active, um, and, you know, their doctor hears this murmur, they get an ultrasound of the heart, the echocardiogram, and lo and behold, they have this severe aortic stenosis or even critically severe aortic stenosis. Um, and so certainly, um, depending on, you know, the numbers, the, uh, the grit, what we call the gradient, the area, how narrow that uh, small that opening is, um, you know, there's indication to intervene on that problem, even though they're asymptomatic because their life can be cut short, certainly they can die all of a sudden as their first symptom, that sudden cardiac death, and so we would want to prevent that. So this could be something where they don't even feel it, but it's gotten so
0: narrow that it's reached this critical point that their life could actually be at stake here. Absolutely. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Sherry Hart and Dr. Jared Oyama from Straub Medical Center. And we're talking today about the aortic valve and what are some of the new ways that this can be treated and how this could really be a game changer for patients of all different ages. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Jared Oyama and Dr. Shari Hart from Straub Medical Center. And we're talking today about the aortic valve. It's actually probably one of the most important heart valves that the heart and the body have. And if it doesn't work, bad things can happen. Now these are valves that over time, sometimes with age, develop deposits or narrowing or they can't open very well. And Although sometimes people don't have symptoms, when it reaches a certain level, it's got to be fixed whether you have trouble or not. So right before the break, we were hearing from Dr. Hart that they've seen quite a bit of cases where people have no symptoms and they come in and they're told, you've got this critical heart problem. And they're like, no, what? I feel great. But there are certain reasons why they may want to have this taken care of. Now, traditionally, maybe about 10, 20 years ago, how would we go about replacing the aortic valve? Dr. Ayama?
2: Uh, We'd call on our our surgical colleagues who would uh, take the patient to the operating room, open the chest. uh, They stop the heart, put the patient on a a heart-lung machine uh, to completely bypass it, and then cut out the old valve and sew in a new one.
0: It sounds simple, but this was several hours of a procedure. <laughs> yes.
2: yes, it's... it's
0: a long-involved kind of thing. Yes. And there were potential risks. If you're stopping the heart and putting someone on bypass, there's risk of strokes. There's risk of stress on the heart. Yes. There's a whole bunch of potential outcomes yes. that, you know, happened. I mean, when they say 1%, it does happen in 1 out of a 100 folks. So right. a good procedure, somewhat risky overall, because of the potential outcomes. But in general, people did fairly well if they were otherwise young and healthy and able to tolerate that.
2: Yes. Um, I mean, aortic valve surgery, aortic valve replacement is is still a very good surgery, and the outcomes are very good. Some uh, people still need that. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but this was, you know, a- aortic stenosis, narrowing in this valve is a disease of older people. So by necessity... People's risk for an open heart surgery is going to be higher because these are predominantly seventy and eighty year old you know, patients.
0: Were there ever situations where somebody's health wasn't stable enough that they really couldn't tolerate an open heart surgery?
2: Yes, yes, and, and we and we do still see that where people come in so late that they they may not be treatable. They, they would just be too sick to, to to get through an open heart surgery.
0: So, what is the alternative?
2: Well, these days, with uh, we we have this Tavar technique, Tavar procedure, where we can deliver a new heart valve through someone's leg in most cases, uh, where we use the internal plumbing of the body to put in a new valve uh, without having to stop the heart, without needing to open the chest. And essentially from, from one heartbeat to the next, a new valve is in place and functioning. It sounds amazing. It's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. <laughs>
0: what made us get to the point where This was discovered. I mean, I'm always amazed at the history of discovery of different types Mm -hmm. of procedures. I mean, the first person who said, I'm going to do a bypass (laughs) on your heart, that was like a totally crazy idea. And yet now, look, it's become Mm -hmm. almost a ubiquitous procedure that's Mm -hmm. done with people who have severe vessel disease of their heart usually. uh, two or three or more critical areas of, of blockage. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, oh, yeah, of course we're going to take a vein from the leg and just you know take an artery from the arm and just make it into a new artery for your heart. <laughs> it sounds like, why wouldn't we? But when you really think about it, it sounds crazy. Right. So how did they ever come up with this idea?
2: Um, some very smart and brave people, both patients and physicians, uh, who came up with this idea. And it was built around the idea of of stents, which we can use to open up blocked arteries of the heart, um, where, we, where we take a, a metal mesh that we can compress down into a very compact tube and sneak it up uh, where we need it and then open it up uh, to, to unblock an area. And this is essentially a, a bigger version of that. Um, and so they you know, tried it out on animals, and the first patient that was ever done was someone who was far too sick to undergo an open-heart surgery, um, basically on death's door, and they were able to do this procedure, and the patient survived and, and did well.
0: So originally, when they were starting to do some of the initial studies, they were sort of targeting folks who Mm -hmm. didn't have any other option, because although this was something that was still experimental, it was considered to have potentially far-reaching outcomes that, that are beneficial for the individual, and as such... It was, although we were still looking into it as a possible procedure, it mm-hmm. was something that for those who had no other options, let's try it in these folks, because yes. this, is, this could be life-saving for them. And if there are any complications, we've done something and we've tried to help them. And a lot of those folks did great. Right, right. So, Dr. Hart, when did we start looking at this as a procedure where potentially this could maybe... Be a game changer and revolutionize all aortic valve replacement. I know recently in the last couple of months, if not a year or two, they've started to say, hey, maybe you don't have to be at a point where you wouldn't tolerate open heart surgery. Maybe this could be offered as an option, even mm-hmm. if you're what's considered lower risk. When did that, when When did we
1: start to say that would be okay? So so initially, um, as, as you talked about, it was... It was in the uh, folks who were inoperable, very high risk, and that was late 2011, where it was when it was approved, and we actually started doing TAVRs in 2012 in Hawaii, and then several years, years later, already the risks were. Um, it expanded to intermediate risk, and just recently expanded to low risk patients, um, just a few months ago, and so basically. Any patient with aortic valve stenosis, um, TAVR is is a viable option. Um, uh, Certainly, there may be anatomical limitations that perhaps surgical aortic valve replacement may still be the favored option. And so, thus, it's important to then have a multidisciplinary team approach to evaluating a patient to uh, come up with the best, uh, you know, decision for the patient, the best option.
0: Now, you're both part of this multidisciplinary team. Who are the members, and what are their different roles?
2: So it includes cardiologists like ourselves, um, and uh, as well as our heart surgeons. Our cardiac surgeons are very closely involved. And so any patient who comes to us for evaluation will be evaluated both by a cardiologist and, and a surgeon to make sure that all options are explored. And there are patients where, um, you know, where, where TAVR is going to be riskier, actually, than open-heart surgery, if you could believe it or not. Um, so it's really important that every patient be evaluated for both options and and we can figure out the best way to get someone better.
0: Do you have any memorable stories of someone who you've seen dramatically improve over the course of just even doing this procedure?
2: Well, we've actually, we just... (laughs) We just did a case today. Today, talk um, so in the past, about, uh, in the past two weeks, actually, we had we had two patients. So uh, we're talking predominantly about aortic stenosis, but Tavar is also approved in people who had prior surgical aortic valve replacements, where the surgical valve is is no longer working. And actually, in the past two weeks, we had patients who came in very sick from neighbor islands, uh, basically on death's door, with severely leaking valves, um, surgical valves, where. Their option in the past, their only option would have been a very high-risk open-heart surgery with a greater than 50% chance of death. These patients we, we brought in for, for Tavars, we successfully performed them, and you know they're out of bed in four hours and essentially ready to go home in two days. It's, it's really amazing.
0: I mean, it sounds life-changing. So these are people who come in, mm-hmm. not even able to get up and get around, and they're mm-hmm. leaving. Right. Sitting up in a chair and walking down the hall.
2: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And because we're not opening the chest, because we're not, um, in most mm-hmm. cases, even putting people on a ventilator for the procedure, the recovery is pretty short. It's it's four hours in bed, and then we actually get them get them out of bed and walking later that day. So the average length of stay after one of these procedures is two nights, two nights in the hospital.
0: Well, and I have to say, I've had a couple of patients for whom you've both been able to take care of them, and. You know, I see them a, a week later, and I'm like, I would never know if I <laughs> did not know that you just had this amazing cardiac procedure. And you listen to their heart, and you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't hear that murmur anymore. <laughs> so it's pretty uh, pretty incredible. When it works, it is just a fantastic, amazing thing to do. And it certainly sounds like this is something that has been proven to work and now may even just be the preferred method for a lot of patients with low risk for surgery, but the Mm -hmm. desire to have quicker recovery and maybe not have the consequences of an open procedure. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Jared Oyama and Dr. Sherry Hart, and we're talking about the aortic valve, very important, and what happens if you need a new one, and what kinds of stuff do we do these days that even just a couple of years ago we weren't able to do. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Jared Oyama and Dr. Shari Hart from Straub Medical Center. And they are heading up the TAVR program, the trans aortic valvular replacement type of procedure that we do now for people with a condition called aortic stenosis. And that's a serious heart condition that can happen If you're lucky enough to reach your 70s, 80s, or even 90s, and this procedure can be transformative, particularly for those folks who may have some symptoms, but may be in a situation where the old approach with open heart surgery might be too risky for them. So we've talked recently about some of the folks you've seen from the neighbor islands, but... You mentioned that other previous heart valves that had started to leak. So are mm-hmm. these mechanical? Are these uh, porcine valves? What kind of leaks or what kind of heart valves would potentially have a problem over time?
2: So these you can have a, a problem with either type of heart heart valve, but uh, TAVR would be able to help people who had a prior tissue valve or bioprosthetic valve, um, whether that's with pig tissue or cow tissue, that you know can become narrowed or leaky over time, and TAVR is approved to treat these patients if, they've, uh, if they have a tissue valve in either the aortic position or the mitral position. So we can treat either.
0: And what kind of, what kind of tissue is the TAVR valve? Is it actual tissue? Is it synthetic? What, what are we talking so
2: about? The, the TAVR valves have two, two basic components, a metal frame to, to anchor it into place, and then tissue that is either made from the lining of a cow heart or the lining of a pig heart.
0: So we're still dealing with tissue valves. Yes,
2: these are tissue valves.
0: And one of the advantages of that was that over time, blood thinners may not have needed to be used.
2: Yes. So, so the, the really the only blood thinner we need after one of these procedures is an aspirin, just a baby aspirin, 81 milligrams. Uh, the, in many cases, we will have people on a second blood, th- blood thinner called clopidogrel or Plavix for the first month or so, but it's not mandatory. So in many cases, we are, we are skipping that these days
0: amazing what aspirin can do i'll tell you the Mm -hmm. more we hear about it i mean honestly when you think about it aspirin would luckily it is over the counter and it's easily available but talk about like a wonder drug Mm -hmm. i mean it does so (laughs) many different things and in this case can actually help prevent clots in prevent problems with heart valves and strokes and all sorts of consequences now I'm curious, Dr. Hart, that you mentioned that, you know, if the heart has to pump against this narrowed valve, it could actually change the structure of the heart. The muscle might need to get thicker, or there might even be areas where the heart would dilate a bit. Mm-hmm. In folks who have had this procedure done, do you see that the heart changes in its structure t- for the fact that it no longer has to pump against such a heavy pressure?
1: Yes. Um, so the if it if the heart is having to pump against this resistance this narrowed valve it tries to adapt by uh, increasing the thickness of the wall of the walls just like if you're at the gym Kathy and you're Lifting weights, you're smiling like. Do you go to the gym? Do you actually lift a weight? So your biceps will. If I were to do that, all right. And so your heart is doing the same thing. So you develop this hypertrophy or thickening of the heart muscle, Um, and over time, actually, uh, it can wear down and get tired and start to um, enlarge, dilate, and fail. Um, And so some some patients, their pumping chamber, the left ventricle, does weaken. Um, And it could be just because of that tight, very tight valve. And we have seen cases where a new valve goes in and it is just a breath of fresh air for the heart. And the heart function improves dramatically. And we see that immediately. It sounds like you would. I mean, it's it's just a natural consequence of
0: taking that extra added stress away. Mm -hmm. Now, it also, this procedure can be done in the mitral valve. Do we have a lot of experience with doing this on the mitral valves, and how is that different than a mitral clip? Or is it the same thing?
2: Oh, sure. So, so Tavar can be used in a mitral valve, in a prior surgical tissue mitral valve that's not working. Um, in a native mitral valve, it, uh, it's not approved and just not, would, would not work just because we don't have something to anchor the new valve into. Um, the mitral clip is a is a different type of procedure where we can try to repair the valve, the mitral valve, if it's leaking, uh, by basically pinching close the areas where where the leak is happening. Uh, but but TAVR would be or what we call transcatheter mitral replacement can work for for degenerative or degenerated uh, mitral mitral valves,
0: which might have a different reason that they've degenerated than the calcification we talked about for people as they get older.
2: Right. And they can degenerate both by becoming narrow and calcified or by tearing and leaking. Um, And we have ways that we can go in, in a similar fashion, through the leg, up into the heart and deliver a new valve uh, into the mitral position uh, where people are able to go home, usually actually in one night, uh, after a one-night stay in the hospital for that procedure.
0: It just, it sounds revolutionary. And I know for those people who have had it they have been absolutely astounded at their speed of recovery and how much better they feel. And the fear of open heart surgery is often gone if you can do this through the same way you would do like an angiogram. Mm -hmm. So I think that takes a lot of the stress away. Given what you've seen in the fields in the last couple of years, where do you think it's going? What would be the next frontier for looking at some of these less invasive heart procedures? What's next out there?
2: well in the in the aortic valve world uh, what we're trying to learn more about is treating younger and healthier patients so um, as as dr hart mentioned earlier we now have approval for patients who would be good surgical candidates um, and the data is good it's not just that it's an easier procedure it's it's that the uh, valve replacement with a tavar uh, works just as well if not some ways better than than surgical valve replacement um, i think what we're what we're going to see next is treating Broader patients, uh, patients with bicuspid, you know, who are born with abnormal bicuspid valves, uh, treating leaky valves. Uh, there, there are going to be new valves on the uh, on the market that are being studied right now that that can treat those patients as well.
0: So, not just those who are narrowed and stenotic, but looking right. at some of the other potential areas where it could be applied. Yes, yes. And Dr. Hart, do you think we'll ever get to the point where open heart surgery isn't needed?
1: N- not just yet. Uh, there's there's still uh, certain cases where, um, again, the anatomy of the patient, feasibility for transcatheter repair or replacement may just not work for that particular patient. So we still certainly, um, you know, need our surgical colleagues' expertise for sure.
0: And do you see any other changes in addition to what Dr. Ayama
1: mentioned about where we're heading in the future with this? Uh, Well, certainly tackling other valves, as he he mentioned, the mitral valve and replacing the mitral valve, uh, the native mitral valve, so not a previous uh, bioprosthetic valve, Um, and as well as uh, exploring more feasible options for the tricuspid valve, which is like a sister valve to the mitral valve. It's on the right side of the heart. It's on the other side, Mm -hmm. because that's another
0: important one. Absolutely. And it can be affected by a variety of different health issues that can occur. Well, it's been fascinating. I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today about some of the new things that are happening in the world of valvular replacement. Thanks,
1: both of you, for coming on. Thank you, Kathy. Mm
0: -hmm. We will have to do it again. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show, and you can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll talk some more about what are some of the latest ways that revolutionary procedures are available right here in the islands and often can be done in ways that will help you to get back to your regular activities before you know it. Maybe you'll be the next success story. We will see you next week right here, Monday on The Body Show. See you then.